I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome to another episode of the Swamp 247 podcast. I am your host, Graham Hall. Joined once again by my co-host, Jacob Rudner. And we are here to talk about Florida's first ever historic loss to the Arkansas Razorbacks. The Gators fell 39-36 to in extra time to the Razorbacks. The Razorbacks had never won in Gainesville, despite being... In the same contest conference, you know, this was a game where I think a lot of people were expecting Florida to win with relative ease. But Billy Napier opened the week last week by saying that Arkansas was better than their record indicated. And I think that anytime you face a team that is getting back one of the league's best running backs in Raheem Rocket Sanders, that can add an element that we have not seen, not to mention they were coming off a bye week. We recapped last week that they had thrown out 30, 35 percent of the playbook in moving to Kenny Guyton as a play caller after Dan Enos was let go on October 22nd. And all of those elements culminated in Arkansas getting a victory in the Swamp on Saturday. In the time since, Billy Napier has not been able to escape the questions from what led to that Razorbacks victory over the Gators in a 12 p.m. contest. And we are now here to continue discussing it now, Tuesday afternoon, Jacob, let's just hop right into it. If you were late to arrive in the stadium, you may have got in there and thought that the scoreboard was screwed up because the Gators quickly were down 14 to zero to the Razorbacks. Just it it didn't start well. It didn't end well for Florida. There was some good in between. I know no one really wants to hear that right now, considering the outcome. But we're here to talk about all of it from the good to the bad. Jacob, we'll start with the success that Arkansas was able to have behind K.J. Jefferson and Raheem Sanders. What stood out to you about how they were able to take advantage of a banged-up Florida defense and have arguably their best offensive performance of the season? I think a lot of Razorbacks fans would say that was their best performance of the season, and it results in their first conference victory. What did you see out of that offense? Yeah, um, I definitely saw a, a team that was benefiting from some change. And I think that that was something that you and I had talked about uh, coming into the game on, on, on our lead up po- podcast, Swamp 247 podcast. Uh, for those of you who listened, we did talk about that there could have been some boost generated by the change at offensive coordinator and how that would impact the way that Arkansas 
granite schemes. It was going to cut down by 30% the total playbook. It was going to try and become more of that spread tempo offense that it ran under Kendall Bryles a year earlier with great success. And if it was able to get back to those things and it had Rocket Sanders in the fold, it seemed as though there was some confidence from the Arkansas side and maybe even some worry from the Florida side that they could try and find some success a little bit in Gainesville. And I think we saw that. This was a game where Arkansas didn't do anything particularly creative to me, but they did simply win by brute force. And they handed the ball off to Rocket Sanders. They allowed him to use his 240-pound frame to basically bowl over Florida defenders and you know find open grass. Uh, that was effective. Obviously, you mentioned it, Graham. K.J. Jefferson is a talented and hard-to-bring-down runner, and he was facing a defense, and this is where I think uh, you know it comes down to Florida's execution. He was facing a defense that has struggled to tackle in recent weeks, that has struggled to put itself in the right positions at the right times. Uh, they have not fit the run well, especially in recent weeks, and in this game in particular, it was really a problem. Uh, and, and, and the result was what we saw. Arkansas had a lot of big plays, especially on the ground that were able to really keep it in the game. Uh, those picked up particularly in the fourth quarter and then into overtime uh, where big runs essentially sealed it for the Razorbacks. Uh, and Florida didn't really have an adequate response. We also saw this, and I think this was interesting. Uh, Arkansas didn't take too many shots through the air, but when it did, it was effective. And Florida's secondary, to me, Graham, has been one of the more concerning aspects of this team in recent weeks. It just has not gotten it done especially against receivers that can challenge them vertically. Uh, and, and yes, there were some positive moments throughout this game. I think you can say that about all phases uh, for Florida, offense, defense, and special teams. But I would also say this, there were enough negatives that it makes the positives somewhat hard to appreciate. And I think that that uh, is kind of the theme from a lot of what we've seen from Florida lately. Yes, there are signs of progress. Yes, there have been good moments. Uh, but the down moments, the bads uh, are, are really bad. And, and some of them are even puzzling and head scratching. Uh, and, and we'll get into those more, you know, particularly with things like special teams. But uh, yeah, th th it was a tough game for Florida. Uh, I do think that there's a lot of credit due to Arkansas for really getting back to what it was good at uh, and executing. And I think that that matters. I do think that Arkansas uh, has a better offense than maybe what it displayed under Dan Enos, who really just wasn't a fit. Uh, for that team and its personnel, uh, but a, but a, a challenging game which Florida made a lot of mistakes uh, and, and and some self-inflicted wounds, including on defense, uh, also contributed to Arkansas's offensive success, in my opinion. Yeah, I think one of the most frustrating elements of the game is really the way that Florida has now lost in a, in a vastly different way to two teams in the conference that were really at, at the top and the bottom. Um, over the last couple of weeks, you know, the number one ranked Georgia Bulldogs beat the Gators through the air behind Carson Beck and have so much success through the air. And there was poor tackling and a lot of it looked like, you know, subpar coverage. We'll call it that because, you know, it, it really is. It's hard to determine how much of it was just really, you know, good offensive play design by the Georgia Bulldogs. And then they face a team again that had yet to win a conference victory in the Arkansas Razorbacks and that team is able to really run all over Florida design QB runs the effectiveness as you mentioned of Raheem Sanders nearly 200 yards on the ground for those two guys combined and it leads to I think a lot of questions about where Florida's defense is yes there were injuries
but there certainly are some questions here as well involving where Florida's defense stands right now. There were, you know, more injuries suffered in the game. The Gators lost Jack Pyburn for the remainder of the regular season due to a torn ACL, and he was filling in for the defensive Tyreek Sapp, who was missing in that contest. And it, it certainly for Florida could look like it could even get worse before it gets better with a trio of ranked contests to end the season. But we're going to save that talk for a little bit later. We still have to talk more about some of the issues from Saturday's contest. Jacob, you mentioned special teams, and then I think that is an absolutely massive factor in this game. Um, you know, Florida had missed an extra point. They certainly had that illegal substitution penalty at the end of the game that has led to some, I think, magnified discussion of the issues, considering it was so detrimental to that contest. Just where do you see this special teams unit future lying? What what do they need to improve upon? Or is there an answer? I mean, Billy Napier said it that quite simply, they just need to have 11 guys on the field and have better communication on the sidelines at times and that he was going to look into it. But what did you see, um, you know, in your opinion, that has your, you know, you convinced that potentially Florida may need to make a change at, at special teams after the season? Well, I mean, I think it's much of the same stuff, Graham. And we, we've talked on this podcast several times. And this is not something that's like, a, you know, we talked about it last week and the week before that. This is a, we've been talking about these things since the opener, since Florida played at Utah and Salt Lake City. This has been part of the discussion. Uh, Florida continues to make the same head-scratching mistakes on special teams. And sometimes they're inconsequential. Sometimes they're extremely consequential, which is what we saw uh, in this game against Arkansas. And, and so to answer the second part of your question first, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that it's time for some change to the structure of how Florida operates at special teams. The unit is wholly disorganized. Uh, Billy Napier said on Monday that you know Florida's special teams would have had its best game of the season or, or the media would be saying that Florida had its best game of the season on special teams uh, had the negatives from the game not occurred. I, I, I'd be a millionaire if I won the lottery, but I haven't and I'm not. And so, you know, we, we got to talk in reality here. And the reality is that Florida is making mistakes that make no sense. I mean, this is now the fifth time this season in which Florida has had a special teams play where it had fewer than 11 men on the field. Billy Napier said that somebody was injured, which caused them to only have 10. But, and I would understand that, you know, that things like that will happen over the course of the season and you're going to do what you got to do. But this is now, again, the fifth time, the seventh on the season that we've caught. And so, so there could be more of these examples. But I have personally seen and written about now seven times where Florida has had fewer than 11 men on the field for special teams. And that is not at all the limit to the mistakes. Uh, a missed point after the end of game situation where Florida's offense is going up to the line of scrimmage to clock the ball with eight seconds left on first down in the fourth quarter in a tie game, 33-33. You have an opportunity to kick a game-winning 39-yard field goal if you can just spike the ball. And we see Florida's special teams field goal unit running onto the field at the same time as the offense, essentially icing the kicker. You then have to run the unit off you incur a penalty five yards for an illegal substitution and Trey Smack misses a 44-yard field goal that would have won the game. And I'm not going to fault Smack for being put in a you know chaotic 
disorganized situation. Of course, something like that will mess with the psyche of the player. And so I want to make it clear to anybody listening to this podcast, in my mind, this is in no way on the kicker. I do not blame Trey Smack for really honestly any of the kicking issues throughout this game, be it the missed PAT, which to me was the byproduct of a bad snap, or the end of game missed kick, which was the byproduct of, of just poor coaching and poor organization and poor communication. And so uh, to me, that's one of the areas where if Florida doesn't make a change this offseason, if there isn't uh, a, a new system implemented to coach the special teams, to coordinate the special teams, that would be an overwhelmingly bad sign for the direction of the Billy Napier era. Uh, and, and I know that this might have been a conversation that we were going to have later in this episode, but I, I, I'm going to move it up forcibly here. Uh, I want to make it clear here, too, that I do believe that Billy Napier can be successful at Florida. And I know that you share in that sentiment, Graham. I am not saying that Billy Napier is destined to fail. I'm not even necessarily saying that I believe he will. But I do think that his success is dependent upon some changes. And that is something that will need to occur with offense. I do believe that he needs an offensive coordinator. And I've said that on the podcast before. And I believe that that's at special teams. I think that that needs to have a coordinator. I think that needs a dedicated full-time coach who can actually be on the field, legally coaching the unit, putting guys in the right position and organizing it in a non-hodgepodge way that has resulted in what we see every week this year. And so, you know, I think that it'd be one thing if I was saying all of this and calling the operation, especially with special teams, kind of this hodgepodge, uh, if we had only seen few and far between examples of mistakes, costly or not, but we are seeing them every week. And it's been a problem that has literally led to Florida losses now. Uh, this is an issue that dates back to last year. It's not a small sample size. Uh, the, the play of that unit, and, and, and again, this is not on the players. I, I, I do believe that Florida's specialists, its core specialists, have actually performed well. I'm impressed with Trey Smack. I have been impressed for the most part, with Jeremy Croshaw, who does a good job. Uh, that being said, the, the play of that unit overall to me is abysmal. Uh, I, I think at, at this level of football, it doesn't even work. Uh, and, and so, yes, uh, I, I think that Florida had massive costly issues in this Arkansas game, and it has had massive costly issues in games before it. Uh, and, and it is time after the season, I suppose, for Florida to make a significant change on its staff in order to prevent these things. Because again, it is costing Florida games. Yeah. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'll echo what you said in that if you're putting the blame solely or even, you know, a little bit of a portion of the blame on the players here in this situation, I would absolutely say that is ill-advised. You know, 18 to 22 year olds, they are not the ones being paid, you know, six figures to be the coaches on the field and directing and making sure that all that is coordinated. Yes, sometimes players make mistakes. Players can make them at a higher rate. And I think that one or two mistakes are absolutely excusable. But as you mentioned, Jacob, this is something that we have seen repeatedly. And having uh, the special teams coordinator not be one of your 10 on-field assistant coaches, I think has led to some scrutiny, some fair, some not, I would say. But I do think knowing that previous setups at Florida, a lot of other setups, uh, I think you could even say the majority of setups around the country have your special teams coordinator be in a dual role where they're a position coach, whether it's a tight ends coach, running backs coach, you name it, that they also are the special teams coach so that they are able to be on the field and communicate. Obviously, the analysts and and coordinators can like Chris Couch, but I think that that role has a chance to be even more uh, well run if it is one of your 10 on-field assistant coaches. And we'll see if Billy Napier does ultimately make that change um, here in the near future. Uh, by that, I mean the offseason, as he talked about on Monday, that he believes that the time for uh, you know evaluating the structure of your football program, that that's going to come more in the offseason rather than making a massive change or even a little change for your coaching staff in the middle of the season. I think he's a proponent that unless circumstances are dire or the seat is incredibly hot for the head coach itself, which I do not think that Billy Napier's seat should be hot. Maybe people are trying to light a fire under it and pressuring him. But year two, he said this was going to be a patient rebuild. And I do think that that this kind of falls in line with it. Him obviously setting up the structure of his special teams coordinator job, I think can lead to some fair scrutiny, like I mentioned. But to call for the head coach's firing due to these issues, they are not foundational issues in my mind. You can look at the recruiting class. You can look at the emphasis on culture, all of the other positives when it comes to Billy Napier. And, and I think that they still outweigh the negatives, whether it's deci- you know deciding to evaluate harshly his play calling decisions, his role is also overseeing the quarterback development with an analyst, whatever you call it, I think still the positives outweigh the negatives when it comes to Billy Napier especially, like I said, the recruiting class, that is going to be a significant component of ensuring that the Gators can be competitive moving forward. And I wrote about that on Sunday in my breakfast column. If you haven't read it, go check it out at swamp247.com. I make the case that absolutely the next month of the recruiting trail, keeping the class together, I think will be more consequential to Billy Napier's future in Gainesville than these upcoming three games. But we're going to absolutely hear we're going to let up on Florida fans right now who are still maybe feeling uh, reeling after the Arkansas game here. And we're going to talk about a Florida team that secured a victory on Monday night. That is the Florida men's basketball team, which jumped out 
to an early 16-point advantage against Loyola, Maryland, got a 23-point six steal performance from returning sophomore guard Riley Kugel. And the Gators looked like, I think, a much improved team in many ways. Jacob, you and I were there last night. I spoke to the Gator tip-off club. You were there with I, myself covering the basketball game. And I, I don't know how you feel right now, but I definitely am becoming more confident in this team being one that can return to the NCAA tournament under Todd Golden after a 16-17 finish last year. Just what stood out to you about what were the most impressive aspects of last night's game? Yeah, for, for those of you who are listening to this podcast and are football fans, but maybe giving the basketball section here a shot, I will equate this to something you're familiar with, and that is Florida's appearance against McNeese State. Uh, Loyola, Maryland is not a challenging opponent. Uh, they were one of the lower-ranked teams nationally, 330 on Ken Palm uh, out of 363 Division I teams. Uh, and so there was never really going to be a challenge last night for the Gators. The expected deficit was about 20 points, which is exactly what we got, 93-73 Florida. Uh, but there can still be positive signs from games like that. And I think that there were a lot of things, Graham, that you and I went into last night looking to see. And, and some of that had to do uh, with Florida's front court and its depth in the front court and how guys would be able to uh, facilitate the ball in a way that would make up for a loss, which is a huge loss, uh, of a guy like Colin Castleton, who was a great distributor out of the post for Florida, was a really effective player despite the position that he played just in terms of his ability to handle the ball and to facilitate. And I say this, you know, I, I think that last night's performance was really encouraging. I'm not going to say that it has put me in a position where, uh, you know, I'm confident that Florida has what it needs to be successful uh, in the SEC in terms of its front court, which it did not have last year but the signs are pointing in the right direction. We saw Florida's big men hit some threes last night and stretch the floor. Uh, I thought we saw some really good passing from guys like Micah Hanlogton and, and Alex Condon, uh, both of whom have pretty good floor awareness. Uh, and, and also defensively, you know, Todd Golden commented last night, and I would tend to agree that, you know, Loyola Maryland might not be the biggest test of an opponent, but it certainly did have some size in the front court and some physicality. Uh, and it gave Florida... Uh, you know, kind of a low pressure opportunity, I would say, to be able to get its feet under it, to give it a little bit of a test run, especially in that front court with some some pretty skilled players uh, on the opposing bench. Uh, and then this as well, you know, one thing I, I thought from last night, Florida has a really talented backcourt. I think that this is a, a backcourt that really has a chance to compete, to be among the better groups in the SEC this season. The shot making ability uh, is quite standout. I loved what I saw from Riley Kugel last night, who finished plus 33 uh, in the plus-minus category, 23 points, six steals, uh, and some rebounds and assists to go along with it. Uh, so, yeah, an encouraging night, I would say, for Florida basketball, a big test coming up on Friday with Virginia. Uh, but in terms of, you know, you want to start the year the right way, all things considered, including the opponent, I, I think Florida hit the mark uh, in its first game, everything considered. And, and, and yes, there were some moments and we're going to discuss them that were maybe not as pretty. Uh, but again, I think that my general takeaway was quite positive from uh, Florida's, Florida's season opener. Yeah, there are definitely some moments. I'm glad you brought that up that were not as pretty in the contest because it wasn't like Florida played flawlessly for 40 minutes. It was a game where they were up by such a significant margin within the first eight minutes there that you could kind of tell at times that they took their foot off the gas at times that they continued maybe, you know, working with some different rotations that they haven't had a chance to 
to really get a lot of time on the floor together with. Um, and it looked like that, yeah, that when they got up by such a large advantage that they really kind of, you know, took it down a little bit of a notch, which is not something that Todd Golden wants to see because with this upcoming game on Friday against Virginia in Charlotte, Florida's going to need to most likely play for 40 minutes. And especially when they get to conference play, that is going to be the case multiple times a week. So this is the time of the year where you want to tune up and and get into season mode. And Florida, with a lot of young players, we've talked about this, they're going to have to overcome fatigue at times this season, the way that they play, how they get out in transition, just how much guys are moving without the basketball and, and how much they're going to pass, especially in the half court. So when you factor all that in, they're going to need to make sure that they can play guys, uh, you know, more than 25 minutes a night, a lot of the time. And those guys are going to have to make sure that they avoid fatigue. You know, we saw Alex Condon in his collegiate debut. He went for 13 points in 17 minutes, was able to connect twice from three point range, but he was dealing with a cramp later in the game, had to ride the exercise bike. So did Riley Kugel. I think that this is going to be a, a thing for the next two months for Florida to make sure that they can get into game shape, of course, stay healthy so that they can play the style of basketball that they want to play, which is an up-tempo offense that can connect from downtown, score in a variety of ways in the front court. And if they can do all that stuff consistently, and as I mentioned, avoid fatigue, the freshman wall, injuries, you name it, if they can avoid any of the negatives, as you saw last night, this is a team that could be really, really good I don't know, though, if they're going to be able to get multiple threes every single night out of Micah Hanlogton. You know, he was the guy who shot, what, 9% from three-point range at Marshall last year, connects twice from three-point range in his debut with the Gators. I, I think you agree with the players, Jacob. That wasn't something that we were expecting to see. And when you factor that in, that they have two bigs potentially who can do that, it, it really leads to some enticing aspects from spacing the floor and allowing guys to get downhill and, and cut to the basket when you are able to bring your man from outside the low post because they have to contend with a seven-foot-one guy who can hit from 23 feet. I mean, that is an element that teams would kill for. I I, I know maybe – were you expecting that a little bit more than I was? Um, I, I don't know that I was expecting that. I certainly wasn't expecting two threes from Hanlogton last night. But I will say this. Uh, when he committed to Florida, he had a conversation with, with us, you know, Swamp 247 – uh, and, and he had said that three-point shooting was something that he was a little more comfortable than maybe his first season at the college level might have indicated. And he said that, you know, at the, at the high school level, that was a part of his game. And it was something that he felt a lot more comfortable doing. Last year at Marshall, it wasn't that he was uncomfortable shooting the three-point ball, at least this is what he said. But he said that it was just something that he didn't really need to do to be successful. And so they weren't putting him in positions to have those, you know, catch-and-shoot, wide-open three-point opportunities uh, like he got against Loyola, Maryland. And I think I would agree with the way that Todd Golden said it, which is that we don't want to live or die uh, by the Micah Hanlogton three. But if we're going to get him at the top of the key completely uncovered, there's no problem with him taking those shots, and, and especially if he's going to knock them down. And so uh, was I expecting it? No. But do I think that it kind of speaks to the uh, way we're going to see Florida try to play basketball this year? I do. I think it's going to be a fast-paced offense that will get guys, including their big men, out around the perimeter for these open-look opportunities. Uh, and, and at a minimum, it will force opposing teams to respect it. And like Tyree Samuel said, that's significant because Florida does have athletic guards uh, who are capable of playing downhill and getting down to the basket. Uh, and, and when you can stretch the floor out like that and make teams 
you know, maybe not crowd the paint as much as they would otherwise, just simply based on the fact that you do have big men who can be a threat from outside, uh, that's significant. And so, uh, you know, look, at the end of the day, to me, this is a matchup against Loyola, Maryland. And I think that that's like the big thing to, to keep in mind as we move away from it and, and, and get forward into the season here. And I am interested to see how these things continue to develop against tougher competition, which we'll have a really great opportunity to see on Friday. Uh, but again, I go back to this encouraging start. Uh, and, and that was, you know, among the more encouraging aspects of the game last night, uh, for sure. Yeah. And fans can also be encouraged that the Gators are going to get a little bit deeper in the coming weeks with the return of Zion Poland, a guy who's going to play a significant role for this team, obviously in a talented backcourt, as you mentioned. So a lot of encouraging aspects to think about when it comes to the Florida men's basketball team as year two under Todd Golden begins. We're going to get out of here, though. We'll be back on Thursday to talk about LSU as the Gators travel to Baton Rouge, what the quarterback situation is going to be like, who are they going to face in Death Valley at 7.30 p.m. We will have our preview of that game on Thursday, maybe talk a little bit of Virginia now that basketball is here. But that's going to do it for us for this episode. For Jacob Brunder, I'm Graham Hall. Thanks for listening to the Swamp 247 podcast. We'll see you next time.